0: with me for the reading of God's Word.
1: Exodus chapter 35 verses 4 through chapter 36 verse 6. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, six blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen goat's hair, seven tanned ram skins, and goat skins, Acadia wood, eight oat oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and the breastpieces. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also from the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil of the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and screen for the gates of the court the pegs for the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priests, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments so they came both men and women all who were willing heart who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets all sorts of gold objects every man dedicating an offering of gold to the lord and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns of fine Or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tanned ram skins, or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it at the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed Acadia wood or of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman who spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goats hair and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpieces and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And he filled him with the Spirit of God, with the skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with the craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in the gold of silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he inspired him to teach both him and Ohiliab the son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan. He filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Oholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord had put the skill and intelligence to work had to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bazaal and Ohilab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put the skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work in the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the, for the sanctuary. This is the will of, word of God.
0: Good morning, family of God. I want to pray one more time if you'll bow your head with me. Our father in heaven, what a privilege it is to gather in your name and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we just pause in this moment to worship you and to thank you for the gift of grace that allows us to worship you. Thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture. Lord, we know that what we read when we're reading the Bible is not a merely human word, but it's your living and active word which is profitable to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus and to equip us for every good work. So I ask that your spirit would help us right now. Help me, Lord, to faithfully communicate your word in a way that's going to be a help and an encouragement to your people for your glory. Help us all to have attentive minds that uh, are hanging on your every word this morning. And humble hearts that are ready to believe and to obey. Forgive our sins, Lord. And as the enemy doesn't want us to give attention to your word, we ask that you would deliver us from evil and help us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, God is very concerned for the children of Israel and for all the surrounding nations to know that God is with his people. God is with his people to bless them, to guard them, to teach them, and to forgive them. He is the covenant God who has bound himself to his people. Wherever they go, he's going with them. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting that we're talking about today, is a powerful sign and symbol of God's presence with his people. So every time they look and see the tent, or every time they smell the incense that's burning... They can remember God is with us. That's true for us today as well, isn't it? Everybody say God is with us. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago when we introduced this theme of the tabernacle, which takes up so much of the latter half of Exodus, we talked about the fact that the tabernacle is pointing forward not only to the temple, but beyond the temple to the person of Jesus Christ. In John 1, 14, we read about Jesus, the eternal word of God, the eternal son of God, that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us, which could be translated tabernacled among us. And Matthew teaches us that one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us to be a Christian is to be the people who say we know God because he became flesh and lived among us. His name was Jesus He died on the cross for our sins and rose again so we can enter into his presence and enjoy him forever. So that's what the tabernacle is really about. It's about God with us, God's presence among us. But in our text today in Exodus, Jesus has not yet come down to earth to walk the face of the earth with us. And God has a work for his people to do to build the tabernacle. Our story is a story about. God's people getting to participate with God in a sacred work because their hearts stirred them to generosity and service. I want you to ponder something with me this morning. Think with me about this. God was fully capable of making the tabernacle instantaneously and all by himself. God didn't need the people. To help him make the tabernacle, did he? God is the creator. He created everything from nothing. That's how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He just spoke a word. And from nothing came forth the universe. He made human beings. He made animals. He made angels. He filled his universe with life and with light just by the power of his word. So God does not need the people to help him make the tabernacle. He doesn't need them. So when we read in our text that God asks the people to give a contribution, the reason God is asking them is not because God needs their stuff. Everybody, turn to your neighbor. And say, God doesn't need your stuff. He he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the resources in the world. He has everything. What's happening in this text is not that God is needy. What's happening in this text is that God is inviting his people to get involved in the work that he's doing because he loves them. They are going to get to participate with God in this noble and creative work that God is doing for God's glory. And that's true for us, isn't it? Now, at Christ Community Church, we talk a lot about mission, which is good. I think every church should talk a lot about mission because there's a lot to be done in the world. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of lost people that need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of baby Christians that need to be discipled to maturity. There's a lot of hurting people that need tangible demonstrations of God's love, not only in our community, but among the nations. We need to talk about missions, but we need to have our concept of what we're talking about when we talk about missions. Right. Because the the situation is not one in which God really wishes he could fix the world, but he just can't do it all by himself. So he is desperately in need of our help, our wisdom, our resources. That's not the situation. God has all the resources. God has all the wisdom. God loves our neighbors more than we do. God loves the nations more than we do. And God, the great missionary, is inviting us to participate in his mission. I'm going to tell you a story before I start digging into some of the details of this text. Here's a story to help illustrate what I think is happening there. In, in Exodus 35 and 36, I'm blessed to have a family that has a number of Christian leaders in it. I've got a couple of uncles that have been missions leaders. And I remember uh, sometime around 10 years ago, probably one of my uncles who has been a missions leader and who has worked with many mission leaders for many years was back in the States for a time of rest and to minister to some folks back here before he went back overseas. And while he was here, he was visiting my family and uh, I was doing some yard work. And my little sister wanted to help me do the yard work, but she was not yet of an age that she was really big enough to be very helpful. So she really wanted to help. And she wanted to learn how to use the leaf blower in particular to clean up after I mowed the lawn. And so I taught her how to do it. And it ended up, you know, it was one of those situations where her helping me ends up taking two or three times as long as it would have been if I just did it myself. But she really wanted to help. So uh, I got to work with her and Gave her the leaf blower and taught her how to hold it and walked around with her and taught her how to do this thing. And the next day, my uncle, Robert, was preaching and he's, he's talked about watching that. And he said, one of the things that I've learned on the mission field over all these years is when we start thinking that God is somehow weak and needy and needs our help, we get into a dangerous place because we think it depends on us. But the reality is that uh, what is happening is much more like what I witnessed with my nephew and my niece yesterday is that God can do all the work, but he invites us to participate in the work because he loves us and he wants to include us in what he's doing. He wants to give us that dignity and God has ordained. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that what we're doing doesn't ultimately matter. God has ordained that his mission is going to be accomplished through his people. That's how he's going to get it done. So we play a real and essential and vital role in God's purpose. It's not going to get done any other way. The process of partnering with God in his work is the gift that God has given to his people. Not only do we get forgiveness of sins and relationship with God, we get to enjoy the process of working with him. That's what's happening in our lives today in Christ Community Church. That's what's happening back in Exodus chapter thirty five and thirty six. And what we see in this text is not only does God invite the people to participate with him in the work, but he graciously equips his people to do that in many ways. Let's just think about for a, a moment. Some of the ways that God equips the people to participate with him in this text. One of the noteworthy things, there's this big tabernacle to build. The tabernacle is a complicated, beautiful structure, which we've said is a sign of God's presence. As a matter of fact, we got a picture we can put up there. You remember this from a few weeks ago? There it is. There's a tabernacle. Now, that's a big, beautiful, artistic design. It takes lots of materials. It takes lots of skilled craftsmen to make that. And it's a teaching tool. As we said a few weeks ago, everything about this tabernacle had symbolic significance. It was teaching people about the holiness of God. Now, you're, imagine that we are a group of people who were slaves just a few weeks ago. And now we're wandering around in the wilderness. There is no Home Depot nearby. There's no Habitat for Humanity Supercenter. We don't have power tools. If you've got a Some wood and you're trying to make something out of it. How are you going to do this? This is not an easy assignment. And yet what we read in this text is that God had already given the people everything that they needed to fulfill his work. If they would just give him their hearts. You see, first and foremost, God had empowered and consecrated gifted leaders, laymen and laywomen to provide leadership for the project. I use this term laymen and laywomen, which doesn't really apply to Exodus 35, but I'm trying to make a point here. The people really leading on this are not the prophets and priests. It's not Moses. It's not Aaron. Who's leading in this? It's people like, well, God, first and foremost. That's right. And then God is working through people like Bezalel and Aholiab. Remember then we learned about Bezalel and Aholiab a few weeks ago. They come up again here at the end of chapter 35. These are people who are skilled at stuff like carpentry. That's a holy skill, right, Taylor? They're skilled at stuff like uh, masonry. They're skilled at various forms of artistic expression. And it's not just them. We read that they were empowered by God to be teachers of other skilled craftsmen to multiply the effort. And it's not just them. Look at verse 26 of chapter 35 with me. It says, all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. What a great verse. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. God is about to do something very holy and very sacred to make his presence known. And it's not going to get done unless these women of God who know how to spin goat's hair and turn it into cloth and fabric are have willing hearts. Unless their hearts stir them to use their skill for God's glory. We could ask ourselves. Once again, as we did a few weeks ago, where did they learn these skills? Now, it's possible that their mothers and grandmothers had taught them how to spin cloth from animal fur. It's also quite likely that they learned these skills in Egypt during their slavery. In fact, their oppressors may have taught them to use these skills. And when the oppressors were teaching them these skills, these Egyptian oppressors might have thought they were going to get to control what these women would do with it. But once again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we studied the life of Bezalel and Aholiab, skills that were learned in slavery are now put to use by God in freedom for holy purposes. So these men and these women are lay leaders who have unique skills, unique gifts that are necessary for the work of God. Now, let's pause and look around the room for just a second. This room is filled with people with unique experiences, unique skills. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you got the skills. And and the scripture teaches that we have a sovereign God who is providential in in his reign over human history, which means the unique skills that your neighbor just told you about and affirmed in you, those skills that God has given you, God may have purposes for them that you haven't even dreamed of yet. What's been fun is. As we walk together over the years, how many times we found some ministry challenge and it turned out God had equipped somebody with just the skill set that was needed at just that time. But we need all sorts of people with technical skills, people who are good teachers, people who have uh, physical skills to do stuff with their hands, people who are communicators, people who are servants, people who have hospitality, people who can listen well, who can counsel well, who can encourage well. We need all sorts of gifts. Those who can have uh, who can give financially or share other resources. All of those gifts are essential for the work of God. And he has equipped the body. What I want you to hear and understand is, is that God may be calling out of your life in the days to come fruitful ministry that he has already prepared you for. In ways that you don't even know and you haven't dreamed. You just need to be ready for it. God has equipped them not only through that, but by giving them clear vision and instruction for the project through his word. See, these chapters, Exodus 35 and 36, repeat several times what we've already seen elsewhere. God didn't leave his people in a state of confusion about what to do. He made it plain for them in the scripture. He he spoke through Moses and said, I want you to build me a tabernacle. Here's how you're going to make it. Here's the design. He gave them the vision. He gave them the blueprint. He gave them the guidance they needed. But the biggest thing I want to say today about the way that God equipped the people to do this work is this. This is really what I want us to focus on. God equipped the people by giving them willing hearts. He gave them willing hearts. The greatest miracle in this passage The greatest sign of grace in this passage, I don't think it is that they were able to gather up all these resources. These freed slaves, God sent them with everything they needed in terms of material resources. That's amazing, but I don't think that's the biggest miracle. I don't think it's even that God had used their past experiences, including their pain, to give them the skills that they needed. That's an amazing gift of grace, but I don't think that's the biggest one. I think the biggest miracle, the biggest Gift of grace here is that God has done something in the hearts of his people such that they're actually overflowing with generosity. They're tripping over themselves, saying, how can I give? How can I serve now? Just walk through the passage with me. I want you to see how this text goes out of its way to emphasize this over and over. First, look with me at chapter thirty five, verse five. Let's see what God is asking for. We read there, God Speaking to Moses, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. A contribution to who? So this giving and this serving is ultimately given to God. It's a sign of worship. A contribution to the Lord. And then he says this, whoever is of a generous heart, you might underline those words, a generous heart. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. God wants their generosity and their service to be worship. They want it to be a contribution to the Lord, and he's not coercing it out of them. This isn't a tax. Moses isn't going around with a big stick ready to whack anybody who doesn't give. Nobody has to give. God simply says, I want anybody whose heart is overflowing with generosity, let them give. I'm looking for people with a generous heart. Those are the ones that are going to have the privilege and the joy of contributing to God's work. As we read through the text, we find the beautiful fact emphasized repeatedly that when Moses went around looking for generous hearts, he found a lot of them. As a matter of fact, he found more than he could handle. Skip down to verses 21 and 22. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him. Their hearts stirred them. That's how they got this work done. And everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Once again, I want you to see. The offerings are dedicated to the Lord. This is worship. This is generosity as worship. This is service as worship. And it's coming not from people being guilt tripped. You've got to do this. It's coming from the overflow of generous hearts. The the phrases are packed, piled up here. Their hearts stirred them. Their spirits moved them. All who had a willing heart. It's about the motivations of the heart. Look again at verse 26. I read this verse a moment ago. All the women whose hearts stirred them used their, to use their skills, spun the goat's hair. You see, it wasn't just that they gave their jewelry and their cloth. They gave their time and they gave their talent. God has done a work in the hearts of the people such that they are happy. They're excited about sacrificially giving their time, sacrificially giving their talent and sacrificially bringing all their material possessions And offering them to the Lord. keep, Keep skipping down the text. Look at verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. You might circle those words, free will offering. Their hearts moved them. And this is a free will offering as opposed to a compulsory offering. As opposed to Moses had to stand up and use manipulative communication tactics. Their hearts moved them out of their free will to give and to serve. I just got to pause right now and say, oh, I long for the spirit of God to do that work in our hearts. God, there's no verses in the Bible that says God loves a dutiful, begrudging giver. There's no verses in the Bible that says, I want you to serve with bitterness and a critical spirit for many years. Some of us in here, we're going, we may be going through the motions of service. Look at all I do for my community, but the pro- we got a heart problem. And I'm asking that the spirit of God will do heart surgery for us right, right now, today. And right now we're just in the diagnosis phase. We haven't got to the cure phase. But what I want to say to you is if your heart is bitter and frustrated and angry towards God, And if your heart is bitter and frustrated and angry towards your brothers and sisters, we got some work to do because Paul says in first Corinthians 13 that even if we die as martyrs and give everything we possess to the poor, if it's not from the overflow of love in our hearts, it's worthless. So if God is bringing a conviction into your heart right now, I would just encourage you. We'll talk more about the the cure, the solution in a moment, but start right now praying, God, I need heart surgery and just be honest with him if you're proud or if you're angry that he would do a work in your heart. Let's keep, let's keep looking. Let's see what else we read here. Verses 36 or Chapter 36, now verse 2. Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. It wasn't just that they had skill. It's that their hearts stirred them up. I would rather have ten saints with willing hearts. Hearts than 50 saints with a lot of skill who need to be given a constant pep talk. To do the work. It's amazing what God will do for God's glory when the hearts are stirred, when the hearts are willing. Now, let's look at the fruit of all this. What was the result of all this spontaneous generosity in people's hearts? And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough. Aren't those glorious words? They bring much more than enough. Much more than enough. This is the most successful fundraising campaign in the history of ministry. The people give much more than enough. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of uh, work at the task of the sanctuary came each from the task he was doing and said to Moses, here it is. (laughs) Verse five, the people bring him bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord has commanded them to do. Verse six, so Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary so the people were refrained. From bringing. I'm just just feeling happy thinking about that right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful to come in here on a Sunday morning? And listen, I got to be real. We have a very generous church with our time and with our finances. I thank God you guys have a reputation, not just in this room, but all over the city for being a people that give of your time and your money for gospel ministry. But even we haven't got to this point. What if we came in here on a Sunday and said, guys, we're overwhelmed with the volunteer hours and with the money. Please, no more. Just pause. Take a month off. That's where they are. Moses is saying we can't handle it. We don't have the infrastructure to handle this much generosity. The project was huge, but it was not too huge for God. They might have when they when they heard the plan for the sanctuary, they might have been overwhelmed and they might have thought we're slaves. We're out in the wilderness. There's no hardware store. How are we supposed to do this? It might have seemed too big, but it wasn't too big for God. And not only that, I think it's glorious God can provide for his work in a lot of different ways. But God doesn't send some other rich nation in this case to come fund the project. God does do that sometimes in the Bible and sometimes lots of times in human history. But in this time, God says, Actually, you've already got the resources. I'm just gonna take what you got and bless it. It reminds me of the story of Jesus and the feeding of the five thousand and the little boy. You remember? Remember the story? There's lots of hungry people, they're all hungry. The disciples say we got to send them away or else they're going to die. They've been here with us all day. Jesus, you've been teaching them. You've been healing them. But the blood sugar has dropped and everybody's got a long walk before they get home and the ends are far away. If we don't send them now, we're going to have a public health crisis. And Jesus said to them, do you remember? He said, you give them something to eat. And the disciples had a hard time with that because they knew not only did they not have enough resources to take care of everybody, but if they tried they were going to overextend themselves. They were going to be left with nothing to eat themselves. They were going to go bankrupt. Jesus, don't you know about not overextending yourself, about not burning yourself out, about not giving too much? you got to protect what's yours. But Jesus isn't thinking that way. Jesus says, you give them something to eat, and then finally they come, boy, come, come. Forward with a little boy who brought his little sack lunch and Jesus takes it and blesses and breaks it. And not only does it feed these five thousand households, but there's twelve basketfuls left over. Much like this story right here. I, I just wonder for us this morning if if there may be something that the Spirit of God would stir in our heart to say, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be a little Southside church that is dependent on the rest of the body of Christ. We can't do what God has called us to do unless God uses other people to help us. But maybe instead of just Asking all the time for the outside. Maybe, maybe God wants to say to us something about looking into our own hearts. Saying, what are the untapped resources? What are the untapped skills here that perhaps we have withheld? And if we would just offer them freely to God, he would unleash it. The, the resources were already there among the people. But God now gives the last resources as necessary. Namely, willing hearts willing hearts. And because their hearts are willing, they get the joy of partnering with God in this sacred work. Now, I want to ask a question which has to be our answer has to be somewhat hypothetical because the text doesn't explicitly answer it. But I think the Bible gives us some clues. Here's the question. Why were the people's hearts so willing? Why were their hearts overflowing with generosity right now? I have said, I think it's a gift of God's grace. And that's true. I think it is anytime. any of us has a heart of love and generosity. That's God's grace. But I want you to imagine this with me. What if we loaded up our tape recorder and our time machine and went back and just started going from household to household in the wilderness and asking them, why are you so eager to give and recording people's responses? What might they say? Here's a little thought experiment. I don't know for sure, but I have read the story of Exodus so far. And I have read in 1 John 4, 19, when we read, we love because he first loved us. And I can imagine some people might start to say, you know, I've just been thinking about my whole life. I never had anything. And my whole life, all the work I ever did was for my slave master. And then all of a sudden, Moses came. And I got to be honest, when he first showed up, I grumbled against him and I complained. and I've complained a lot of the steps along the way. But when I heard the call of Moses that God says, let anybody whose heart stirs him give, I just started thinking I had nothing and now I've got more than I need. Now I'm free, but I've got all these skills. What could I do? And I I just started to think, how could I show love to the Lord who saved me? God did everything for me. How could I give something back to him? And when I heard this call, my heart stirred me. Here's a way that I can give. Here's a way that I can show my love to the Lord. That's the kind of motivation for generosity that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says in that text, God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 8 goes really nice with Exodus 35 and 36. Everybody say a cheerful giver. And when he describes cheerful generosity, he roots that generosity in our experience of God's grace. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 8, Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor so that you might be rich. Jesus, the son of God, who had everything, who was Lord over the cosmos already, humbled himself, came. He was born as a baby to the Virgin Mary. He was a political refugee who fled from Herod and went to Egypt he grew up the son of a carpenter. After loving people and teaching God's ways his whole life, we know how he died. He, he was falsely accused. He was the victim of a miscarriage of justice. But he did it all for us. He died on the cross for our sins, not only so that we could be forgiven, but that we might share in the eternal riches of his glory. He wants us To be children of God who reign with him in a new creation. Friends, when we talk about Christ coming to make us rich, we need to think about what this is really talking about. What is our hope? What is our hope in Christ? I'm not talking about the privileges we already experience. There's plenty of that. We've already been forgiven and adopted into the family of God and filled with the spirit. But I'm talking about when Jesus comes back. Our hope is this, if any of us in here, poor sinners as we are, has trusted in Jesus Christ, 10 billion years from now, we will be reigning with Jesus in a new creation with resurrected bodies that will never get sick or old, enjoying the presence of Christ forever. And when we've understood the gospel to such a degree that we look at the cross and we say, here's God who is infinitely rich Becoming poor and weak for me, I deserve judgment, but he came down to embrace me, not only to forgive me, but to bring me into his family and to let me know his love so that I could enjoy eternal riches of joy with him. Then something awakens in our hearts and that's gospel generosity. What the scripture is calling us to do is to just remember what God has done for us. And let that message of God's grace infiltrate our hearts in a way that's going to transform us. So we're going to want to show love to God and we're going to want to express that love in service to one another. Now, as we get ready to move towards a close today, I want us to transition from the Old Testament context all the way into the New Testament context and fast forward all the way back to 21st century Oklahoma City. Here we are. Has God given us a work to do? Is it something that we can do in our own strength? It's not something that we could do in our own strength. We're going to need God's help. As a matter of fact, the, the way that we've been talking about it, that we should put it, is God is going to do this. Only he could do this, but he is ordained to do it through us. Now, we could talk about the work that God has called us to do in a couple of different ways. We could talk about it in a general biblical sense. Talk about Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and Matthew 25, 31 through 45. You remember Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Right. After Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and do what? That was kind of good. Let's try it again. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's a mission that could keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Because he said, all nations... And he said, everything I commanded you. Now, what has he commanded us? We could go back to Matthew 25 and find one of many texts in which Jesus is saying, if you come to know me and walk with me, you'll show your love for me by obeying me. And that's going to look like welcoming the stranger, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoner. It's going to look like a lifestyle of radical love, mercy, justice, service, generosity. So those are texts that are saying, in general, the church of Jesus Christ has been charged share God's love everywhere in the whole world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, mentoring people to reach spiritual maturity and doing good works of love and mercy and justice that show people the, the love of God in tangible ways. But we could also get a little more specific. We heard a vision from we heard a vision communicated from several different people at our members meeting last week. Some of y'all were there. If you were there, maybe you get a little whoop whoop. If you weren't there, let me tell you about a couple of the important parts. A couple of the important parts were just this. Jared started talking to us about the vision of our neighborhood ministry team. Now, this is not something there's not a Bible verse that said thou shalt start a neighborhood ministry team in Oklahoma City. Right. But as one little part of God's church, we've been given this great commission command and we've been charged with figuring out what does that look like in our neighborhood? What does this look like here? And. We can't be the whole church for the whole world, can we? Aren't you glad we're not the only local church? That would be a problem. I mean, forget for a second, not only all the unreached people groups in the world, but we can't even reach all of Oklahoma City. My heart is broken for what's happening on the northeast side. For decades of oppression and injustice and the economic and spiritual ramifications of that. But that's not where God has planted us. I thank God for Church Ablaze and for Restore OK at sea and for St. John's Missionary Baptist Church and all the other folks doing great work on the northeast side. Amen? Amen. But we are on the southwest side. This is where God has called us. And and until he sends any of us somewhere else, what we're saying is these people are worth the rest of my life. So Jared stood up and talked about the neighborhood ministry team and said, a vision for us about what if we keep working and keep laboring until every one of the large apartment complexes and neighborhoods throughout South Oklahoma City had a gospel outpost of people that were actively evangelizing and making disciples in that neighborhood. Isn't that a beautiful vision. And Chauncey started talking about expanding this to schools, started saying, what if Christ Community Church had people serving in every school on the south side, working with teachers and parents to help the kids succeed academically, but also looking for opportunities to share the gospel and make disciples. Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? And that worth giving the rest of our lives to? And uh, Gavin wasn't there. He's in Wales now leading a mission trip team. But hes we talked about his ministry team that's reaching out to college campuses to make disciples. If, if God got a hold of you, you got saved or you grew spiritually a significant way during your college years, would you give a little whoop? That was a lot of whoops. I didn't count them all. But that was a lot of people that that was a really significant time in their lives. And how many of the laborers were reached and connected during that time and then have now since got engaged and are doing the work that you're doing every day. It's a compelling mission. And don't even get me started about St. Paul's Community School, which is serving kids in our neighborhood. Hey, we can look at we got a few teachers and board members and head of school and and the audience from this. It's a noble vision. It's a glorious vision. Friends, has it proven to be easy so far? I've got some heads shaking left to right. That means no, <laughs> it's not easy, but it was fun sitting down with the partners, some of the donors that uh, helped get St. Paul's Community School off the ground a couple weeks ago and saying to them, I love the fact that God has gotten this ministry off the ground in such a way that it really can't be attributed to the vision or the hard work or the skill of any one person. It was the whole body of Christ so that God gets the glory and we all get to share in the joy. Of what, he's doing. what about Christ Community Health Coalition? Reed is using his medical skills every week to serve and help people in ways that are literally saving lives and helping people encounter the healing love of Jesus. But he's wanting to push and expand uh, the work of the ministry to partner with other resources in the community so that everybody in our neighborhood has access to a high-quality um, primary care physician who can help them live a healthy lifestyle. Which is no- we're nowhere. Near that right now. That's a big vision. Doesn't that sound like something that's worth giving our lives to? And as we talk about each one of those saints, much like this tabernacle, it can feel too big for us. But guess who it's not too big for? It's not too big for God. God could do it with a word right now. But friends, what I want you to hear is that that's not how God does it. God does it through activating the skills and the experiences and the gifts that he's already planted in his body and stirring us to believe the gospel to such a degree that our hearts are overflowing with generosity. Now, the thing about the difference between that work and the work of the tabernacle is this. The tabernacle was like a short-term thing, a short-term project. It's a capital campaign. You can work at it for a few months or a few years and then you're done. The stuff that I'm talking about that I just listed for us, that's like decades and generations long, isn't it? So as we get ready to go to the Lord's table, I want you to chew on this thought. Hearts that are moved with generosity and love in our context, um, it's, it's not going to work if it's little spurts of passionate love, friends. As a matter of fact, I would go one step further and say this. God, I think, is more glorified By years and decades of steadfast love than by little spurts of passionate love. So it would make sense in the mystery of God's providence if he wants to do a work through us, through an unimpressive people like us, so that everybody will know it wasn't them. It was God that did that work. But he wants to do it in such a way that people will look and say, this didn't come quick. It didn't come easy. This was about generations of passionate faithfulness. It's about perseverance. Where are we going to get the resource to do that? Well, we've already said it. We get it at the cross of Jesus. Jesus didn't just love us with a short little burst. He gave everything. He loved us to the end. His broken body and spilt blood is the measure of God's love for us. That persevered towards the end. Only as we come back to the cross, remember that love, can our hearts receive the strength to persevere on this journey. Let's let's pray together and then go to the Lord's Supper. Our Father in heaven, I praise you that you first were generous to us. That you loved us and you came down to the depths of our misery to love us and to rescue us. And that you loved us with a steadfast, persevering, unfailing love that didn't even stop before the cross. Jesus descended to the grave. He bore our judgment. I'm so thankful that I don't have to get what I deserve for my sin. But I can get what you freely and generously offer by grace through Jesus Christ. And I pray for myself and for the saints here, Lord, that your spirit would. Even now. As we. Meditate on the gospel and go to the Lord's table. Give us a fresh glimpse. Of that grace of Christ. So that our hearts will stir us. To persevering steadfastness in the work that you've called us to do it. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.